Legal discussion on tip today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. And you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today and it is indeed our legal slot with uh, John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors in Clanmel. Morning to you, John. Uh, good morning, Fran. How are Enduring you? power of attorney, John. Yeah, we were talking about all the various things that you should do, that we all, all should do and sometimes don't. But enduring powers of attorney is one actually handy for me to actually look at it because it's changed to a certain extent. It came in Mer- Mervyn Taylor, I think, brought it in in 1996. And if I'm not mistaken, he also brought in a whole raft of family law legislation. And the enduring power of attorney when he brought it in in 96 was quite novel. But what it did was it filled a gap in the law insofar as if you're going out of the country or something or for some reason you might be undergoing an operation and you might need recovery time or whatever, you're going to have a kind of a a period where you're not going to be able to look after your legal affairs. The classic one is you're going to Australia or somebody in Australia wants to buy property in Ireland and they're coming back. So what they can do is they can give a power of attorney to somebody to execute the documents on their behalf. In that context, you're fully capable of managing your own affairs. You're just not around to do it for whatever reason, not physically around to do it. So in 96, there was a gap insofar as if you suddenly, for one reason or another, lack capacity at some stage. So in other words, let, let, let's say you're, you, know, you started to suffer from dementia um, or any equivalent type of, um, I don't know whether you call it a disorder, but illness, um, that would uh, lead you to a situation where you weren't capable of making decisions. I'm just thinking as I was talking to you about that, I was smiling yesterday when I was listening to the news and they were talking about they've, they've, they've now made gaming a disorder. I just thought uh, there's, there, it's, uh, everything uh, kind of gets a modern brush to it. Just, you know? just, yes. I wonder, is watching TV too much a disorder as well? It probably is. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in the in the context of capacity, the 2015 Act that I have been talking about over the last couple of weeks, which is the Assisted Decision Making Capacity Act 2015, introduced a whole raft of different mechanisms to deal with kind of future planning. But the enduring power of attorney uh, in 96 came in in 96, and it's been revisited again uh, in the 2015 Act. They haven't changed it dramatically, but when I looked at, we did a, a guide to uh, enduring powers of attorney, and I whipped it out last night, and I said, oh, this will take a couple of minutes to read, and it'll be fine, and I won't have to do too much work for the show this morning. Uh, despite what people might think, I do actually have to do a bit of reading (laughs) before I come on. But when I look at it, interestingly enough, it has changed to a certain extent and it has changed to one important extent and I suppose I'm starting at the end rather than at the beginning. But it has changed to one important aspect for anybody who is... Like when you're doing an enduring power of attorney, you're effectively planning for the future. So it's like a protection policy, an insurance policy, that if at some stage in the future you're no longer able to manage your affairs, you have in advance nominated uh, what we call attorneys, but you've nominated two people who will undertake certain decisions for you. And that's effectively what an enduring power of attorney is. They call it a living will 
I'm not 100% sure why they call it a living will because there's a certain contradiction there. It's almost as if you're saying that somebody has passed on from a, an intellectual perspective, I suppose, is why people might mm. call it that. But the, the thing about the enduring power of attorney now under the 2015 Act is they have now introduced a lot more supervision into it. And the reason that they've introduced a lot more supervision into it is for the very reason that I think this time uh, last Friday or so we had the an international day for abuse of the elderly and scenarios like that. And the reason they've introduced the supervision is fairly obvious. You can't just simply nominate people to look after somebody else's affairs because you might have the risk that somebody might have actually persuaded them to complete this uh, power of attorney Uh, and you might have the situation that when it does arise that the two nominated people may not be doing the job properly Mm. so it makes fairly good sense that you should have some sort of supervision so the 2015 Act has now introduced supervision and it's introduced supervision in the context of introducing another like the law loves creating different kind of entities to supervise things and there's also a kind of a a desire sometimes to take it away from the courts or not to have it so legalistic or formalistic Mm. you know so they've introduced the DSS which I've I, I always thought the DSS has something to do with social welfare or something but the DSS in this particular context is a decision support service so what it is is what it sounds like it's a decision support service so anybody who has a role in assisting people to make decisions are going to come under the ambit of the DSS. And I'm going to call it the DSS because I don't have to keep thinking of that's mm. the decision support service. But the the DSS, this this particular body now, is going to take over the functions that historically were undertaken by the court. Mm. So if I, f- if I finish at the end and come back to the start and talk about what exactly is an enduring power of attorney. Well, mm. an enduring power... But sorry, but before you leave that, yes. can I just ask you about the, the supervision of the people who have been appointed? Mm. Um, is that mandatory supervision or have they to be called in, so to speak, under certain circumstances? What it means is that they have to... Uh, first of all, uh, provide. I'm going to pull a bit of paper here in front of me. I saw mm. this uh, again. I'm. I don't know. I must be giddy this morning or something. But I was watching. You should think about this now because I, w- I was down at my dentist in Waterford and I saw that they had a screen up. And I see that is it whatever uh, news program in the morning they're recording them all now. Ah, and right. you can as when I say visually, you can see them. So yes. whatever it is, morning. Yeah, morning. I, I mean, I only yes. listen to TFM as you know. Needless but, to say, yeah, but when, <laughs> but I know exactly what <laughs> you're talking about. They, so you, you want they, they could. It's an interesting modern movement on to radio on now. To radio, it's a, because a visual. Yes, I used to always think that people on radio used to be kind of talking, you know, whatever. But I saw all these guys with loads of paper and reading all this paper. So <laughs> I, I feel good that I don't have to look at the paper. Absolutely. Too often. But um, the, the, to answer your question, <clears throat> within three months of like, there's two. There's, it's a two-step process. You start by planning for the future. So what you do effectively is you create an enduring power of attorney. When you create an enduring power of attorney, so in my case, let's say I create an enduring power of attorney, I nominate two people who will be the people who will take over if I lack capacity. So let's say in my case, I pick my two eldest kids just for the sake of argument and they then they then at some point in the future 
may decide that I lack capacity. Now, I may not agree with them, but they may decide that I lack capacity. And there is provision for the fact that if I don't agree with them, they must serve notice on me and various other parties. But, you know, it's not an absolute. They don't have the un... uh, questionable decision to declare capacity and that's a different issue just for a second but let's assume let's just run it out as as it might arise let's mm-hmm. say I do lack capacity they then uh, register the enduring power of attorney the question you asked me was uh, what did I mean by uh, supervision mm-hmm. they registered with the uh, decision support service when they register with the decision support service within three months of registration they are obliged by law now to submit a schedule of all of my assets. So the, the, my two children will have to have a schedule of all my assets and all my liabilities. Probably liabilities more important than assets, but mm-hmm. they, they schedule my assets, my liability. They lodge that with the DSS, the uh, Decision uh, Support Service. They are obliged, as, as they always have been under the 96 Act, to keep proper accounts and they've, but now they've got to submit them. So they've got to keep proper accounts and proper records. So you can imagine how important that is from a practical point of, of course, view. Yeah. But, but it, it also means that if you're an attorney now, there's another element to it that becomes important, which I'll, which I'll just allude to in a minute. But the other thing then that they've got to do is they've got to submit a written report as to the performance of their functions, whatever that is. But I don't mean whatever that is, but what I mean is whatever that format of that report will take, but they've got to submit a report. So now you're into a much more uh, onerous responsibility now. A little bit like, you know, when you appoint executors for a will that's not as easy as others, there's a huge responsibility Mm. uh, attached to that. And um, the issue then that arises from a practical point of view, if you're taking on the role uh, as an attorney, the big thing is, First of all, out-of-pocket expenses, which are automatically covered under the legislation. You're entitled to your out-of-pocket expenses. But the second part of it then is remuneration. Because you may have a situation where you may you may decide, I mean, in my case, I may decide, well, you know, there's, there's certain justice and fairness in, in, in not asking people to do it for nothing. Yeah. So that, that may very well arise. But if you look at your... Uh, enduring power of attorney and you look at the format of your enduring power of attorney what what does it do or what kind of decisions can it make now you may remember we were talking about the advance care directive last week yes. i'm not expecting that you remember the entire detail of it but we were talking about an advance care directive within the enduring power of attorney uh, there are three options one option is you give somebody power to do whatever. In other words, it's an unlimited uh, attorney. So they step into your shoes effectively. They can deal with your assets, um, hopefully your liabilities. They can deal with your personal care decisions. So, but you can also say personal care decisions only. And you can also say financial decisions only. So you can do a combination of those, uh, of all of those. And the other thing that, that that I've kind of come to the view about in terms of enduring power of attorney is that a little bit like wills, if they're going to be any good, and I don't mean that in the sense of that you can have a bad will, if you know what I mean, but if they're going to be effective and if you are really kind of sitting down to plan it, you probably should 
spend a fair bit of time in planning it. Like if you look at the uh, Advanced Healthcare Directive, for example, that's a tricky one. It's a, it's not an easy one, but it is one that you couldn't just sit down and say, okay, right, I'll make all these decisions without consulting with either close family members, but more importantly, probably your, your medical uh, people. But when you're looking at an enduring power of attorney, you've got to start thinking about, well, what exactly if I wasn't able to make decisions, what kind of decisions would I like to influence? You know, mm. you know, if do I want to, would I want to stay at home? Would I want to go into a nursing home? Uh, what kind of care arrangements? Would I want somebody to be able to dictate whether, you know, what kind of visitors I should have? Would I want somebody to dictate, you know, what kind of care and attention and how frequently I should get it? Do you know what I mean? So do you drill it down on the personal care decisions and how far do you drill it down? Uh, the second question then is on your on your assets and liabilities. You know, do you want, do you want them to be able to, do you want your attorney to be able to sell your property? Uh, do you want them to be able to dispose of assets? Do you want them to be able to use those assets for, you know, to convert them to cash, how much responsibility mm. do you want to give them? And I mean, when you're building in, when you're doing out the enduring power of attorney, when I looked at it, actually, it's, it's, I, I've often said to people when you're studying law, and if anybody wants to look at enduring powers of attorney, where they should start is at the, the actual, if you like, the cornerstone of it, which is the regulations, mm. because almost all law not sorry, that's a very broad sweeping statement, but um, regulation law. You know, if you if you read, uh, admittedly, I'd like you to read Lynch Solicitor's manual on it, but if you want to go back to the kind of basics, you read the legislation first. So the, if, if you look at the regulations, every piece of legislation, like if you look at the Assisted Decision Making Act, it will constantly talk about, well, we have to make regulations. And one of the problems, if you want to say, are the reasons for why the 2015 Act is still not 100% operational at the moment is because they've got to make so many regulations to make it work. I mean, the law will simply say, this is we want to create this entity called an enduring power of attorney. Uh, here are the rules. You must nominate two attorneys. You must serve notice on two individuals outside of those attorneys. Attorneys. You can't nominate certain people as attorneys. So the the, the legislation sets out the rules, mm. but the actual drill down how you're going to implement those rules comes in through regulations. Right. Can can you turn off power of attorney at, at 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 any time? You can. Yeah, you can as long as you're. Yes, good question. Like everything else, you can vary it, or you can revoke it. Oh. Right, right up to the point that you lose capacity. Right. So, in other words, as long as you're still able to uh, make the decision, because the starting point of the enduring power of attorney is that it has certain safeguards in it, as mm. you can imagine. So, one of the safeguards is that a solicitor must sign off on it. And when you sign off on it, you sign off on it to the extent that the person is capable of making the mm-hmm. enduring power of yes. attorney. In other words, they understand what they're making, yeah. number one. Yeah. And number two, they understand and aren't unduly influenced by by anybody in the context of what decisions they make. It's similar to a will. Somebody mm. comes in to make a will. Um, you know, if, if, if somebody comes in to me to make a will and they arrive in with a family member, with all due respect to the fact that obviously you're going to have family members who are going to help people and want people to do mm. things and do the right thing, you always have to be very conscious as the lawyer doing the will that, that you make the will with the individual concerned mm. and that there's no undue influence. The exactly same principle applies with the living will with the enduring power of attorney. You have 
have to be satisfied that the person so you but but you must sign off on that that's part of the enduring power of attorney document is part of the document is a signature by me as a solicitor saying I'm satisfied this person uh, understands what they're mm. doing that they have the capacity to do what they're doing and thirdly that they are, haven't been influenced in any way the, the, the other safeguard in it well there's a number of safeguards but the other safeguard in it is the doctor your GP must also sign off on it so the GP he or she must say yes this person is capable of doing it and then the third safety valve and I'm not saying that there are other ones but mm. these are the three main ones the other safety valve is you have to serve notice on people other than the people you've nominated to act as attorneys. Right. And one of those notice parties has to be a family member. So, for example, if your spouse was an attorney, you would have to serve notice then on, say, a child or another, a nephew, niece, whatever, another family member. So the safe, their safety valves, like it's 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 quite a, mm. you know, a simple, straightforward system, but it has a lot of safeguards mm. built into it. Is there a link between uh, power of attorney and and the will? Because God knows there may be a, you may be on the road downhill uh, mm. that that. Mm. allows the power of attorney to kick in mm. and the the will then where, is there a link there yeah it's good that's an interesting question because the, when you ask me the question i presume what you're saying is uh, well m- maybe you're not asking me the question but i'm just wondering are you thinking well i make a will and it carries out it instructs certain things yes. to happen then i lose capacity and then I appoint attorneys. Yes, and, and then that they could easily affect the... Yeah, they yeah. dispose of assets before it hits the will. Mm. So effectively, they could have dealt with everything before you die. That, right. Is that what you're asking? Exactly, well, except you put yeah. it much more eloquently. Yeah. But, but So what about that then? Well, that's a good question because that's exactly the same question that somebody would ask who makes a will. Because they'd say, well, if I make a will, does is that it? Like, can I... Is there any way I can go to... Barbados or can I spend the money that I have in that account or yeah. can I dispose of that house or can I and the answer is yes because a will is a document that can be changed as many times as you change your shirt or as many days as there are in the week or you can do it as many times you like so you can constantly change a will a will can be changed right mm. up to the date of death so but a will is relevant to whatever is there at the date of death so if everything is disposed of by your attorneys under your enduring power of attorney, there may be nothing in the will. There may, there may be nothing to will. But I mean, again, that's a very interesting question because, and if you think about it, it's a very logical follow-on from that to say that if I'm making my will and I know what my intentions are and I know what I want and I have capacity and I also because don't forget that I, I'm talking here about a whole suite of of documents or mm. legal documents that you're going to put in place in order to you know ensure for your future so you've got your will you've got your enduring power of attorney so obviously in your enduring power of attorney if you have a very specific like just just for example let's say you have a very specific request in your case let's say it's a classical guitar and I'm, mm. I'm, I'm using that as an example mm. and you want that guitar to go very specifically to somebody that mm. you know and you put it in your will to do that well then you see when you're trying to match up your will with your enduring power of attorney in your power attorney 
you can set restrictions on the power you're giving somebody to dispose of your assets. Uh-huh. And when you set your restriction, you're going to say, I want that. I don't know, you give me the name of a very uh, fancy guitar, but do you know what I mean? I You would nominate that. So th- this is why I say to you that this is not a kind of a, let's go in and do it and that's fine, sign it up and get out. This is, you, you think it out and the question that you're asking highlights that is that you're saying to yourself, well, okay, during power of attorney, I lose capacity, I pass it on to attorneys, I've made a will, and you could make a will within, you know, within six months, because the other really interesting thing, and people give out to me, I've heard people say I use that word too much, but it is interesting, that um, the, the really interesting thing about this under the 2015 Act is the whole issue of capacity. What does capacity mean? What does losing capacity mean? And this is where the real interesting thing is, because you can object to somebody registering enduring power of attorney on the basis of lack of capacity by going in and saying, well, actually, wait a minute here. This person has capacity. It's absolutely fascinating. If people, there's a lot of information on your website. I, I presume. Yeah, well, there, yeah. I have to. I, I have to issue a. Um, I usually put this booklet as general guidance only. But the interesting thing is, I'm reading. I read. I, I read. Lynch Lister's A Guide to Enduring Powers of Attorney. If somebody wants it, I've, ha- I've had no problem at all. If they email us, we'll send it out to them. Um, but I have to update it. I, right. war- okay. I warned them I have to update it in the context of the 2015 Act. All right. Always a pleasure. Always fascinating, John. Thanks very much indeed.